Great to be with you in worship today. Brand new service of a brand new year. I'm going to encourage you to find your Christchurch notes. You'll find your worship, uh, your uh, pen or pencil on the seat back in front of you. There's several blanks I'm going to want you to fill in. I'm starting a brand new series today called I Didn't Learn That in Sunday School. And uh, I can guarantee you that by the time this is over, uh, over the next few weeks, you are going to be brilliant. I mean, brilliant. People are going to think you're so smart because you're going to know things that, that, uh, that many people just flat out have never heard of or, and uh, simply don't know. So I'm going to go ahead and begin by telling you this. It was in 1986 that Robert Fulgham uh, wrote a book that, to everybody's surprise, became a bestseller, selling over a million copies, 17 prints, uh, 13 different foreign languages, and it's called, All I Really Needed to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. And, uh, you know, what he shared in that book was this. He said what he learned is to share everything, to play fair, to wash your hands before you eat, flush, (laughs) warm cookies and cold milk are good for you, live a balanced life, learn some and think some, draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work some, take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together. You know, there's no doubt that uh, the world would be a better place if we practiced what we learned in kindergarten. These are all good lessons. For me, not only did I learn those in kindergartens, but I learned some things in Sunday school that uh, are tremendous lessons for me. Some that have, uh, many of them have impacted who I am and what God has made into me today. Here's what I've learned in Sunday school. Everything is a gift and gifts are meant to be shared. Life is not always fair, but God is. When people hit you, work on not hitting them back. That's the turn the other cheek. Did you get that in there? Yeah. All that you are and all that you have are on loan from us, from God. So put everything back to where you found it and clean up your own mess. We all sin, so start practicing saying, I'm sorry. You're going to need to do it often. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, that's not in the Bible, but don't tell anybody. The Lord commanded, uh, uh, Lord commanded a day of rest, so take a nap when you're tired. He's got the whole world in his hands. God designed us to need each other. They all went into the ark two by two. Giants are no problem for God. He's the original superhero. Running from God usually means you end up in the belly of a whale. God will always meet you in the fiery furnace or in the lion's den. God answers prayer. When our friends are sick, we should get them to Jesus even if we have to lower them through the roof. Jesus can do a whole lot with very little. It's hard to believe what he could do with just a sack lunch. We were created to sing or at least make a joyful noise. So praise him, praise him, all you little children. God is love. God is love. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And most especially, Jesus loves me. This I know. 
For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Those are the lessons that I learned in Sunday school. But you know, when I grew older and and graduated from my children's Bible to an adult-sized Bible, I remember reading some stories that I hadn't heard in Sunday school and thinking, good grief, they didn't teach me that story. You know, recently your pastors and I were, we were talking about what it was that we were, how we were going to kick off 2019, what did we want to teach, and somehow the conversation started turning to some, some of these wild stories that we find in the scripture, and pretty soon we got realized that that's it. You know, we're going to teach about the stories that we never learned in Sunday school around the flannel board. We're going to talk about some of the stories that are, frankly, uh, some strange and odd and mysterious and even confusing stories that we didn't learn in Sunday school. So I'm going to start with this question. Here's the question for the story that I didn't learn in Sunday school, and it is this, who is Do you know that word? Melchizedek. Can you say it? Melchizedek. One more time. Melchizedek. So who is Melchizedek? Is he? I've got a quiz for you. Is Melchizedek another name for the devil? A. Is it B, an Old Testament king? Is it C, the Roman emperor reigned from 48 AD to 59 AD? Is it D, Gesundheit? You know, Melchizedek, you know? Gesundheit. So, who is Melchizedek? Is it, I'm going to ask you now, raise your hand if it's A, another name for the devil. B, an Old Testament king. C, a Roman emperor. Uh, D, Gesundheit. Well, it is B, you are right, most of you are right. It is an Old Testament king. Melchizedek is an Old Testament king. And I'll tell you what, you know, when we started thinking about this, none of us had ever, 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 ever heard a pastor preach on this guy. And yet, he is one of the most mysterious, arguably the most mysterious person in the entire Bible. This guy shows up out of nowhere, talks to Abraham, blesses Abraham, and then as fast as he shows up, he disappears. And we've never heard anybody preach on this guy, yet this guy is something else. I'm telling you, this, this, what I've got to tell you today is just going to be mind-expanding, that's for sure. You know, I said it many times that Christ Church is a thinking church. We put our thinking caps on when we get here. We're not afraid to deal with the tough stuff, and today, that's exactly what we're going to do. You know, before I read the scripture that introduces this guy, Melchizedek, to us out of the first book in the Bible, Genesis, chapter chapter 14, beginning in verse 17, I'm going to have to set it up. I've got to give you a little bit of history so because we're going to run right up to it, and if we just jump into it, it may not make any sense. So let me run up to it with a little bit of history and tell you how we get there. So follow me for just a moment, if you would. So now, after the story of Noah and the flood and the ark and the animals coming in two by two, God is looking for a faithful person, somebody through which he could, through he and his descendants, he could form a great nation, become a huge, huge, huge family and bless the world through him. So 
God, in his search, came across this guy named that we call today Abraham. At that time, he was known as Abram. It wasn't until later that God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. So we're going to refer to him as Abraham today. So God chose this guy named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And he called them to go on a journey. To, to start a new family, to begin a brand new life. And so this journey was a huge deal. It was this. The journey was going to start that God would give him a son. Go ahead and put it on the screen, please. That God would give them a son, and that this son would form a family. And this very family that was formed would eventually become the nation of Israel. And out of the nation of Israel would come the Messiah, would come Jesus. So this journey was going to be huge. And it would start with Abraham and Sarah and end. That journey would eventually come to its conclusion when Jesus would be born. Now, I share all of that to say this. So they go on this journey and they're settling in the land of Canaan. And we know the land of Canaan more colloquially as the promised land. So they're now in the promised land. And here's the deal. God says, I want you to go on this journey, and you're going to go to this new place that, uh, that you've never been, and there's going to be a brand new land that I'm going to show you. Well, when Abraham and Sarah show up there, they were shocked to find that they weren't the only people there. In fact, there were people living in that land. There were little cities scattered around the promised land, and they were worshiping idols, and they were all at war with each other. I mean, it was a, it was a rough place, that promised land. People were fighting. The cities were, were fighting king against king and army against army, and it was a real mess. So here's Abraham and Sarah, uh, as well as Abraham's nephew and his wife. His name was Lot. He was there with them. Well, in the midst of all this war around them, one of these little kingdomettes uh, abducted and kidnapped Abraham's nephew Lot. Took not only Lot, but his wife and all of their possessions, kidnapped them. And so Abraham thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to ever be able to rescue Lot and his wife and, uh, from the hand of these enemies? So he strategized and he decided that he would go to all of these little kingdomettes, talk to their kings and say, let's all get together, let's pool our resources and all of our strength and then together we will go against that one particular kingdom. And you know what? It worked. And this is where we pick up the story. So, Genesis 14, verse 17. Here it is. After Abram, Abraham returned from his victory over Kedorlaomer, I'm going to call him King K. You know, I'm a Coach K fan. This is King K right there, Coach uh, or King Kedorlaomer and his allies. The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. All right, let's stop right here for a second. So, Abraham. That Abraham is standing out on the battlefield, and the kings that he had allied with were so thrilled 
that they had, uh, and thankful to Abraham that they were coming out onto the battlefield to personally thank Abraham for all that he did to help them win a victory over King K. And so the first king to come out on the battlefield was this guy, the king of Sodom. Now, if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll know that for Abraham to, to uh, link up with the king of Sodom was kind of sketchy for Abraham, but the reality was he did it in order to rescue his, his uh, nephew Lot. So, the next king that comes out on the battlefield is this mysterious man named Melchizedek. And here it is, next verse, check it out. So, it starts out saying, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High. Now, that should raise your antenna right there, and I'll tell you why in a minute. The king of Salem and a priest of God Most High brought Abraham some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is every single solitary thing we know about Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. Right there. The guy shows up. We don't know where he came from, except we know he was the king of Salem, but it said that he was a priest of God most high. Now, but the deal was he wasn't an Israelite. So how could he be a priest of God most high? And remember, they were now in this promised land, which was not Israelite territory. And so this priest being there as a priest of God most high, this is incredibly mysterious. This guy, uh, Melchizedek, showing up. So what do we know? We know he's the, the king of Salem, king of Salem. We know that he's called a priest of God most high. And remember, in, the, in that promised land, they were all worshiping idols. They were shocked to find out that they were actually ones, there was somebody else worshiping the one true God. And we know that he brought bread and wine out to Abraham. And that's it's in Genesis. And this guy simply disappears. There's no mention at him in the rest of Genesis. There's no mention in Exodus. There's no mention in the book of Numbers. There's no mention in the book of Leviticus. There's no mention in the, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. Nothing in the rest of the Torah mentions this guy called Melchizedek. In fact, he's only mentioned one other place in the Old Testament, and that's in the book of Psalms. And get this. This psalm is 110, and the mysterious thing about this psalm is, in the psalm, God himself is speaking. Now, but here's the deal. Who is God speaking to? Now, listen to me. God is speaking to the coming Messiah. So, he is speaking in this psalm to Jesus. God's speaking to the coming Messiah, and he says... To the coming Messiah, you will sit at my right hand. You will rule all of the heavenly armies. And then he says in verse 4, check this out. The Lord has made a promise that will never be broken. Now here it is. He's speaking again to the coming Messiah. You will be a priest forever, just like who? Melchizedek. 
You'll be a priest forever, just like Melchizedek. Now, before you get off that scripture, listen to this. Or let me ask you this question. Who was Jesus speaking to when he said, you will be a priest forever, just like Melchizedek? He was speaking to to Jesus. Remember that he was God speaking to the coming Messiah. So God was speaking to Jesus saying, Jesus, you're going to be a priest forever just like Melchizedek. Now, did you get that? You'll be a priest forever just like Melchizedek. So that's pretty significant, right? So the question is, who is he? Who is this guy Melchizedek? This mystery is getting deeper by the moment. Now, the only other place that Melchizedek is mentioned is in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews in chapter 7. And this is really wild. Check this out. So the writer of Hebrews says this. This Melchizedek uh, was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Check this out. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling who? The son of God, he, Melchizedek, remains a priest forever. And with that, I've got two questions for you. Who is he? That's question one. And question two, why in the world do we care? I mean, that's probably what you're thinking anyway. Why do we care who he is? Well, I was going to tell you. Why, this guy is really important, and you never heard of him, and he's incredibly important, and he's so mysterious. Okay, so here's what we know. Who is Melchizedek? Put it on the screen. I want the question right there. Who is Melchizedek? Here's what we know. We know that he lived during the time of Abraham, right? Okay. Second thing we know is that he was called the king of who? King of Salem, King of Salem. Now, I'm going to give you this little bit of trivia. I hadn't planned on doing it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Have you ever heard the word Salem before in the scripture? Oh, I heard it over here. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Okay. Jerusalem. Now, a long time before Jerusalem ever existed, there was this little village called Salem, and it's in the present-day Jerusalem. But in that time, Jerusalem didn't exist. It was just a village called Salem. And there was this priest there named Melchizedek, who was a worshiper of the one true God. Now, how do we get from Salem to Jerusalem? Listen to this. It was not in Israel territory. Salem was not in the, to, uh, Israel. Israel hadn't even existed yet. There was this place called, uh, it was a, let me put it this way. It was in Jebusite territory, not Israelite, but Jebusite territory. And so they eventually named it Jebusalem, 
And then it kind of became corrupted a bit to Jerusalem. So now, out of this pagan area, which is the Jebusite place, there was this priest of this one true God. And they gave him a title. And here's what we know, that first of all, Salem means peace. So he was the king of peace. I want you to write that down, that Salem means peace. So he became the king of peace. And Melchizedek, that name means king of righteousness. So he is, Melchizedek, is the king of peace and the what? King of righteousness. He's the king of peace and the king of righteousness. Now, that's quite a title, right? I mean, you think about it. That is an incredible title. So what we know is that he was a priest of God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Now, what is so unusual is that when Abraham and Sarah entered this promised land, entered the land of Canaan, they literally believed that they were the only people who were worshiping the one true almighty God. That they were surrounded by nothing but pagans who were worshiping idols. And when he was out there on that battlefield, besides the king of Sodom, who shows up but this mysterious, unknown dude called Melchizedek? So who is this guy who's priest of Most High? Here's the deal. I'm going to give it to you in two answers. At the very least, this guy Melchizedek is a preview of the coming Messiah. At the very least, this guy is a preview of the coming Messiah. I'm going to say it again. At the very least, Melchizedek is a preview of the coming Messiah. What do I mean by that? Well, think about this. Psalm 110 verse 4, we read it just a moment ago, makes it utterly clear that Jesus will be a priest forever, just like who? Melchizedek. Okay, so we know that. We also know that in, uh, ch- in Hebrews chapter 7 makes it very clear that Melchizedek was here to help us understand who and what Jesus would be, the king of peace and the king of righteousness. Titles that Jesus shared, right? King of peace and king of righteousness. So at the very least, Melchizedek appears on the scene as a preview of what Jesus would be, the kind of king that Jesus would be, the king of peace, the king of righteousness. Now, but that's not all. And here's where it gets hairy. At the very most, Melchizedek is something that, well, I've got to use a great big theological word. Let's put it up on the screen. It's called Christophany. Christophany. I want you to write that down. Christophany. Christophany. What is Christophany? Christophany is this. Christophany means a pre-incarnate, go ahead and change the screen, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. 
What does incarnate, what does Christophany mean? A pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. What is that all about? Now, let me explain this because it's going to get incredible here in just a second. Promise. What we know is that God, excuse me, Jesus is one third of the Trinity, right? We have God the Father, God the who? Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is one-third of that as God the Son. Okay, we know that. We know that he was born of the Virgin Mary. We know that he lived for about 33 years before his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we're all together on that. We've got that. But what you probably never thought of is this, that Jesus... God the Son, that third of the Trinity, Jesus, God the Son, existed before Jesus the man. That is, I'm going to put it in a different term. Jesus, God the Son, existed before he came at Christmas, before he was born at Christmas. Do I have your attention yet? Jesus, God the Son, existed before Mary and Joseph left Nazareth, went to Bethlehem, had Jesus in a stable, wrapped him up, put him swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Jesus, the God, the Son, existed before he came to us at Christmas. That's what Christophany is all about, and that's how this is going to fit in with Melchizedek. Now, you're thinking, okay, well, help me understand that. Here's this. If if you think you've never heard that before, you actually have, particularly if you have ever been to one of our candlelight and communion Christmas Eve services. If you've ever been there, and I've, and I've done 26 of them here, if you've ever been to one of them, you have heard, before we lit, would light all the candles, when the lights go off, the place goes black, and I walk down the aisle holding the Christ candle, I always say these words from John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, that is the Word, was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then verse 14. The Word became flesh, he came at Christmas, and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Jesus the Word existed with God in the very beginning, long before he became flesh and started living with, uh, among us here on Christmas. So, before Jesus was born in a stable, Jesus existed, God the Son, before he was ever born at Christmas in the very beginning. And some of you are probably thinking, oh, come on, Pastor John, you've got to give me more evidence than that. Well, okay, I will. Here's what I have. What if I were to tell you that there is, that there is an allusion to this in the very first book of the Bible, in the very first chapter of the very first book in the Bible, and it's verse 26. We find this right there. Check it out. Here's the creation story. And what does God say? God then says, let, what's that next word? Us. Make mankind in 
image, in likeness. Who is this us in our and our? In the book of Genesis, in the very first chapter, in the creation story, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Could it possibly be that God the Father is speaking to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit? Let's do this together. Let's make this place alive. So, what does all that have to do with Christophany? Well, I'll tell you this. Some Bible scholars who are a lot smarter than I am believe that Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, the priest of God most high, who, get this, remember that last sentence in uh, Hebrews, had no beginning and no end without mom and dad, without genealogy, who would continue as a priest forever, who shows up mysteriously on the battlefield and then serves Abraham a meal. Do you remember what he served him? Put it on the screen. Bread and wine. Now let's think about this together. So this mysterious guy named Melchizedek, who just happened to be from Salem, which became Jerusalem, which means king of peace, and his own name means king of righteousness, who is without mother and without father and without genealogy and without beginning of days or without end of life, who remains a priest forever and shows up on the battlefield to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, and serves him communion. Just might happen to be, at the very most, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus 2,000 years before he was ever born on Christmas. What about that possibility? Now, I say possibility because I can't stand here with integrity and tell you for an absolute fact that that's exactly who Melchizedek is. But I can point you to some evidence that leads me to that kind of conclusion. I'll give you one more before I go. You remember that great story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Remember that story? Yeah. So, when the king has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the fiery furnace because they will not bow down and worship the gold idol. So they are thrown into the fiery furnace. And so from afar, the, 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 the king is looking into the furnace as he's expecting to see them being burned up. And he says to his guards, he says, how many people did you throw in that furnace? And the guard said, Three. We threw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like you told us. And the king says, then why is it that I see four people 
in that furnace. And the fourth one looks like, this is a quote, a son of man. What did Jesus, what was the title Jesus referred to him, uh, to himself in the New Testament? The son of man. So here was possibility, a Christophany right here in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. So who is Melchizedek? Well, in the very least, he's a preview of the Messiah that was to come. And at the very most, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus 2,000 years before Jesus was ever born in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed into a manger. And now, in the next two minutes, I'm going to tell you why I think you really should care about this. Answer that last question in two minutes. First answer is this. God used Melchizedek to help us understand who and what Jesus would be. I think that's important. All the way back into the book of Genesis, God, whether he was a preview or a Christophany, God was showing us through Melchizedek that the coming Messiah would be the king of peace and the king of righteousness. He would come with bread and wine, and he did, and gave us a meal that we would remember him forever. Who and what uh, we learn from Melchizedek of who and what Jesus would be. That's what we know. And here's the second reason why we should care. Because Melchizedek reminds us that a relationship with God is far more important than a, rela a religion of rules. A relationship with God is far more important than a religion of rules. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, in that day and time, in order to be a priest of God Most High, you had to, had to, had to, had to, you absolutely had to come from the tribe of Levi. That was the law. That was the rule. That was required. You could not, could not, could not be a priest unless you came from the Israelite tribe of Levi. Now, here you have Melchizedek, who was a Jebusite, who was not an Israelite, who was in a pagan land, the priest of, a most, of the most high God. Here he is coming out on the battlefield to meet Jesus, priest of the Most High God. You know that what that tells me? That tells me he became priest not because of religion of rules, but he became a priest because of his relationship with the Lord. It was his relationship with God that allowed him to be a priest of the Most High God. And I'll tell you this. You know, it was so shortly after all of this takes place and in the New Testament that Jesus reminds us through what takes place with his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross where the veil of the temple was torn in two. 
was telling us right then and right there, we no longer, because of our relationship with Jesus, you and I no longer need a priest to mediate for us, to ask God to forgive us, to seek uh, 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 God's grace and God's love. We don't need a priest to stand between us and God and speak to God on our behalf. Because the, the moment the temple veil was torn in two, when Jesus said, this is finished, he had won the victory. You and I, guess what? You and I became priests ourselves in the order of Melchizedek that we may have a relationship, a saving relationship, a full relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords ourselves. You and I have that because of what Jesus did. And Melchizedek shows us that a relationship with God is far more important than a, rela- than a religion of rules. And that's the story of Melchizedek. Who is he? At the very least, he's a preview of what the Messiah would be. But at the very most, it was an appearance of Christ 2,000 years before Jesus was ever born. And I can tell you this, as I, as I have studied this up and down and sideways and every which way I could figure out how to make it work, I didn't learn that in Sunday school. And I don't imagine you did either. Let's pray. Thank you so much, God, for your love, mercy, and grace. You are an incredible God who never fails us in any way, shape, or form. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us a priest in the order of Melchizedek too. Not because of rules, not because all of us have been ordained, but simply because of our relationship with you. That's the kind of God you are. And I am grateful, Lord, to be your servant. I pray, Heavenly Father, right now for this church and its ministry and outreach to the world, for every last one of us, For we are grateful for the way that you enlighten us and show us the possibilities of of who you are. You know, God, sometimes we think that that we've got you all figured out and we can put you in a very uh, closed-up box and that in every way, shape, or form, one thing will lead to the next conclusion. But you know, what you show us over and over again, and especially in this story with Melchizedek, is that we can't put you in a box. That you just might transcend every single thing we think and believe. Thank you, Lord, for being that big of a God. You are worthy of all we are and everything we've got. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.